Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, August 18th. It was such a pleasure to get to cover last week's Top Seed Open with our friends on the Tennis One app. I got to enjoy calling all of the action with my friends Luke Jensen, Craig Carden, Sandy Middleman, Mark Lucero, Donna Vekic, Sasha Bajin, Shelby Rogers. I mean, the lists of guests, Haley Baptiste. I could go on and on and on because that CrowdView Live function on the Tennis One app, it really is such a different fan experience uh, than anything else right now out there in the tennis world. You get to watch these matches, pick the minds of so many, you know, brilliant tennis thinkers, and it was really such a pleasure for me to get to chat with everyone there. I'm so grateful to the Tennis One app, everyone who was willingly participating on CrowdView Live along with us. It was so much fun. Obviously, the tennis itself was exceptional, and all of us miss seeing our favorite pros on tour day in, day out, week in, week out. So to get to have that for a full week, to get to see and call the action for players like Serena Williams, you know, obviously uh, Arena Sabalenka, Coco Goff, CeCe Bellis, and then so much Jennifer Brady and Jill Teichman as well. And they were both playing so well this past week. It was really, again, an exceptional event and it was really well done. So a huge shout out needs to go to the crew at the Top Seed Tennis Club. Obviously our friends, uh, you know, John Sanders and of course, Haley, uh, who we have gotten to know here at Cracked Rackets, them, the entire Top Seed team did a, you know, Top Seed job uh, putting all of this together, play, uh, building a bubble and ensuring that all of the players, all of the volunteers, everyone who is needed to uh, make sure a tournament like this can go was able to stay safe. And, you know, again, it was just a really job well done. So shout out to all of them. But of course, a lot of tennis transpired and I want to talk about all of the action because I got to watch all of it up close. And folks, as you know, I have takes to give because this is one of the few warm-up events we're going to get to see, particularly on hard court uh, before the Western and Southern Open starts, before the U.S. Open starts. And we're about seven days away. I believe qualifying starts in two Two days on Thursday, main draw starting next week. Folks, that three-week bubble in New York is upon us. Players have already started arriving. They've all started taking their preliminary tests. You know, some players have already made that decision. It it sounded like they were going to before, but they have formally made their announcement that they're pulling out of the event. Uh, We have a lot of updates for you on today's mini break because, again, we had two WTA events last week, not just the top seed open. We also had action in Prague, Simona Halep taking home a another title have to talk about that action because again, now that we have two, the tour resuming, I'm not taking that for granted. I'm going to watch each and every match possible. Also want to talk about what you listeners can uh, expect to watch this week because we have the return of the ATP Challenger Tour and that's obviously so exciting. There was a time in my life where I would say I watched probably five hours minimum of Challenger Tennis a day and I'm not saying I've escaped from those routes but I, I've missed that routine. I've missed watching my two to three matches a day, missed watching all of my highlights, you know, scrolling through, watching the big points, at least 15 minutes of eight different matches. Uh, so it's so great to have a couple of challenger events back. And we're starting to know what the calendar is going to look like, by the way, in this 2020 season, how many ATP, WTA, ITF events we fans can expect to happen. So I want to update all of you listeners on all of those things. Of course, the reason I'm able to do this day in, day out here on the mini break podcast, although I will say no mini break yesterday. Apologies for that. I did need a day off. Yeah, I can talk a lot, but my brain was like, Alex, just shut me down for a day, please. Uh, So apologies for no mini break yesterday. Of course, the reason we are able to bounce back, you know, last night took the L, but tonight I bounced back. Uh, That's a big Sean song. Anyways, I think I just dated myself. Here we go. 
I didn't date my uh, – anyways, uh, the reason I am able to bring you these mini break podcasts day in, day out here on Cracked Rackets, West Off, leave all of that in, uh, is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And we say it all the time. To succeed on the tennis court, you got to look good, you got to feel good, and then you're going to play good. Well, our friends at Midwest Sports are going to ensure that you look good because they have everything you could want as a tennis player. Are you a fan of polo shirts? You want the checkered shorts? You want under – or under armor, excuse me me you want dry fit you want uh you know the latest rackets strings grips you name it shoes they've got it our friends at midwest sports have served as one of the best in the business one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers for more than 30 years by offering a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match they also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. And you name it, folks. Babolat, Head, Wilson, New Balance, Yonix, uh, you know, Nike. They've got it all. And maybe you don't know exactly what your game needs at this point. Maybe you haven't hit the tennis court in a couple of months. And it makes sense. It's been a, you know, trying time for all of us. Some of us don't have easy access to a tennis court. And so it's been difficult for us to get back out there. We don't know exactly, should I restring my racket? Should I change my tension? Should I update my racket? What do I need to do? Well, rest assured, the well-trained staff at Midwest Sports are intimately familiar with all of their tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you out of the competition. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Midwest Sports, wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So go to MidwestSports.com. Let them know we sent you there by using that promo code CR15. All right, you know the deal. Now you look good. How are you going to feel good? By making sure your nutrition is in the right place. By making sure you have that energy boost you need to get your best performance out there on the court. And that's where our friends at Aerobar come in. The only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And best of all, it comes with a podcast too, right? As you all hopefully have been listening to our Getting to the Point episodes. Last week we had a phenomenal podcast where we talked with former University of Michigan All-American, former Wimbledon finalist. Notice how I said the Michigan thing first before the Wimbledon finalist fact, even though we could argue the latter one's the more impressive. Malavia Washington joined us on the show. Of course, Mal, uh, as if you listen to that episode, he played doubles with my tennis coach growing up while they were in college. So I grew up on war stories of Mal and you know his college time, some fun ones as well. And so we got to ask him about all of that and more. Be sure to go check out that podcast. And of course, go support our friends at Aerobar. Use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off as well. So aerobar.com, the promo code is CRACKED15. Now, with that being said, again, it's going to be a two-part podcast, I suppose, here. One podcast episode, but two things I want to cover. I guess three total topics, but two segments. I want to recap the tennis we saw last week, and then I want to talk about all of the news updates we have on the bubble in New York, because I think they're both important topics. They'll both set the tone for what to expect this week. You know, again, I, there's a lot of news to cover, so I want to do that at the end. But first, let's talk some tennis, because how long has it been since we've been able to say, guess what? We have two weeks of tournament events to break down. We have two championship weekends, which yielded so much spectacular tennis for us to discuss, for us to analyze, for us to consume. It's just a beautiful thing to have once again. I'm doing the, uh, I'm holding my fingers up in a gesture like, beautiful. Um, I don't know why that's the accent I went with. Anyways, let's start. It, I suppose that was an Italian accent, but they were in Prague, not Italy. So I'm going to start with the action I saw up close. Let's talk about Lexington. And, you know, I did do uh, mini breaks last week where I talked about it a little bit, and the big performers, Jennifer Brady, Jill Teichman, I think that's where I have to start. And let's start off with Jennifer Brady, who was just so spectacular all week long, five matches up in singles, 10 sets played, 10 sets won, did not drop a single set all week, and, you know, accumulated some really good wins along the way. You know, they're not going to jump off at you because only one of the players she played was seeded, but you think about 
throughout the field. She beat Heather Watson. Heather Watson made a finals uh, before the season stopped in 2020 in Mexico. If you recall, she beat Leila Fernandez. So I suppose she actually won a title. She didn't just make the finals. She won a title. Um, Jennifer Brady beat her 6-2-6-1. Magda Lynette, the sixth seed. Again, is Lynette always going to be the most comfortable on the hard court? Maybe not. Just didn't have a weapon to hurt Jennifer Brady. Two and three for Brady. Marie Buzkova, who early in the week I was ready to argue after she beat Joe Conta so comfortably. I was ready to call Marie Buzkova my favorite for the 2020 U.S. Open. She was moving that well, very similar to what I saw out of Fiona Farrow in Palermo, and I just thought to myself, oh, this athleticism, this ability to take defense, turn it into offense, the way she moves, you know, former junior U.S. Open champion as well. Uh, it was all coming together for the 22-year-old, who also made a final earlier this year, uh, where she lost to Fidelina, I believe that was also in Mexico. Jennifer Brady beat her 6-1-6-2. So again, all of these wins, two uh, two finalists and a title, you know, a finalist and a title winner. Jennifer Brady beat them both one and two. That's ridiculous. She then plays Coco Goff, who had a great three-set win over Arena Sabalenka, who just, you know, you look for Coco Goff, what she's accomplished here. Coco Goff, in terms of, you know, I don't need to tell you what Coco Goff's accomplishments are. I'm just meaning to say, for Coco Goff this week, she beat Arena Sabalenka. She followed that up with a three-set win over Own Jabour, who, you know, by the WTA race to Shenzhen, top 15 player in 2020. Coco Goff was playing some really good ball this week, and she's obviously such an exceptional competitor as well. And we'll get back to Goff and my takeaways. Jennifer Brady, two and four. Then she plays Jill Teichman, who had also not lost the set this week in singles, who had also made the finals in doubles. Jennifer Brady, 6-3, 6-4. So when you look at Jennifer Brady, you just see the ball she hits, the explosion off the forehand wing, her ability to create so many plus one opportunities with her serve. And you know, this was something Luke Jensen talked about all week, Mark Lucero, all of the Craig Carden. She has a kick-based serve, and she can really get after that serve. And it, it's a different serve than a lot of different servers in the women's game play with the slicer. They play the flat serve. She doesn't. She plays heavy kick. She sets up first forehands. She moves exceptionally well around the court. It's so clear how good of shape she got in this offseason. It explains why, you know, back in January, back in February, she made the quarterfinals of Brisbane, knocked off Ashley Barty. She made the semifinals in Dubai. And during that run in Dubai, knocked off, you know, so many great players. I believe she came through qualies in Dubai and then knocked off Svitolina Vandrusova and Muguruza before losing uh, to Simona Halep. You know, she she's just played really, really good tennis this year. And so it should surprise no one that Jennifer Brady is going to be seated at this year's U.S. Open. You look for Jennifer Brady. She's number 13 in the race to Shenzhen. And again, grain of salt because it's been like 10 weeks of play. But more importantly, Jennifer Brady now at a career high of number 40 in the ranking. She's 25 years old. You know, we talked about it all week. We learned that insight that this offseason uh, back in December, which was like actually six years ago, but a year ago in December uh, in 2019, she went and trained in Germany. And you can just tell she has gotten in really, really good shape. She's moving around the court so well. She hunts forehands, of course, but she's plenty confident taking that backhand cross court, taking that backhand down the line. She'll move forward as well, hit the overhead confidently, uh, but, but just plays really big tennis, can move well around the court, and because of that, she was able to play first strike regardless of her opponent, and you do wonder if a Sabalenka's clicking, if if someone's able to take time away from her uh are they, you know, that's the key. You're going to have to take time away from her, though, to beat her. And there are not a lot of players who have that power to do that. And then you add in the fact now it's, you talk about her U.S. Open prospects. Yeah, she's played really well this year. And it's great to see she played world team tennis. She carried that momentum from the start of 2020 into this result. How big of a contender is she truthfully at the U.S. Open? Well, you know, again, A, she's going to be seated. B, she's going to be confident and, you know, more confident and more match tough, hopefully, certainly more match tough than 99% of the players in the draw, but hopefully that confidence carries over. The question is, does she believe she can do it in a second week of a Grand Slam yet? And she's made two fourth rounds, both of them in 2017, both of them on hard court. It was her first year, her first and fourth Grand Slam main draws ever, and she made two fourth rounds. It's clear how talented Jennifer Brady, who didn't even play one singles for UCLA, 
you know, that she is now number 40 in the world. It's just what an incredible talent, what a hard worker. It's a testament to, you know, again, the work she has put in that she's having these sorts of results. Um, but I don't know. Again, there are with all the players we've seen withdrawn from the women's field, it's wide open. And so you do wonder if Jennifer Brady is simply the most confident player. If she can get through that first week with, you know, maybe one ugly three-set win, but just getting her level better and better, why not if you're Jennifer Brady? You know, you certainly can believe in your—why uh, not believe in yourself? You were so exceptional this week. Again, she just plays such good first-strike tennis, is able to just take the ball out of her off her opponent's racket, just play on her terms. So it was a really exceptional week for Jennifer Brady. I just wanted to emphasize that. And, you know, again, you look at the results against Marie Buzkova on her first serve. She wins 84% of those points. She's 21 of 25. In her next match, you talk about— about it. I mean, Jennifer Brady was just so good in her match against Coco Goff, which she won two and four, and in her match against Jill Teichman, which again she won th- uh, three and four. Or yeah, three and four against Goff. You look at the first serve points: twenty-two of twenty-six. Again, eighty-five percent for Jill Teichman in that match. 29 of 43, uh, but that's 68 or 67%, excuse me. It's just a really well-played match. And so, oh, oh, excuse me, no, Jen Brady in that match, 25 of 31. So 80%, again, 81% on that first serve. Yeah, if you're winning over 80% of your first serves, if you're that dominant with that stroke, you're going to win a lot of matches in professional tennis, and Jen Brady, uh, she showed plus power, she showed a plus serve, she is going to have a really nice, I think, three to five year stretch now, where she should find herself inside the top 50, she's able to stay healthy, keep up this level of play, uh, because she's got the goods, folks, this was a legitimate run, the best player all week long, from start to finish, won the event, and sometimes there are miraculous runs, this wasn't one of those, this is a Jennifer Brady, who slowly has built up, you know, this was her first WTA final. Uh, It was her, I believe, third career semifinal, so first win in the semifinals, and in her first final, she manages to win her first WTA-level title. That is awesome. Bravo to you, Jennifer Brady, our biggest winner on the week, and you know, she is the biggest winner on the week, but we did have another exceptional performer in Jill Teichman this week, because for Teichman, you look at what she has done over these past, what, 12 months, won her first two titles last year in Palermo and Prague on clay, but she continues to look better and better as well, and you look at it for Teichman, what she did last week, making the singles and doubles final, you know, she didn't drop a set in wins over Kalinskaya, Putin, Seva, Cece Bellis, Shelby Rogers, and the lefties got a really nice game. She moves the ball around the court so well. She's a really, you know, a plus athlete in terms of her movement and just, you know, the lefties able to, she really does a good job of finding forehands, of moving you inside out, inside out, inside out to open up the inside in down the line for her to your backhand side as a righty. And she just plays really smart patterns. She's very mentally sound. She doesn't, never gets too high or too low on herself. Really good with her routine. Teens and by the way, talking to Coach Cardin, talking to Coach Jensen and Lucero, all they look for for these players: how are they mentally in between points? What are they doing? What are their routines? How you know what does it look like when they're losing? Is, is there purpose in their losses? Because from these coaches, yeah, you can lose a match, but if you for so many of these coaches, it's how are you losing this match? Why are you losing this match? What are you trying to do? Is it recklessness or are you making good decisions? And just routinely throughout the week, all of these coaches raving about the decision-making of Jill Teichman, who, you know, in Putin Seva, in Cece Bellis, they just couldn't hurt her. And because of that, she showed the patience, the ability to work the ball around the court. And yeah, these top seed courts were really slow and high bouncing. And I think that played a big fa- uh, in favor of Jill Teichman. But guess what? The U.S. Open courts, they're going to be slow and high bouncing as well. Every hard court nowadays is. And so for Jill Teichman, who is now, I think, right around 50% uh, in terms of her career winning percentage on hard courts, but around 68% on the clays in her career, you can understand with her big ground strokes why she'll always be more successful on that surface, plus the ability for her to move around the court on the clay just gives her a comparative advantage against some of her opponents. But, you know, again, 
for Jill Teichman right now, who's at a new career high of 54. The 23-year-old Swiss player is exactly where you want to be at that age, and you just throw her in there with the group of other, you know, 24 and under, 25 and under superstars, you know, my class of players. These are the people I am coming of age in with, I suppose, in tennis media, but there are so many, you know, from Ashley Barty at the top to the Conteves, the Mertens, the Vekiches, as we talked about last week, you know, the Caroline Mukovas, the Kuder Matovas, Ostapenkos, Fiona Farrows, Buzkovas, Teichmans of the word, Sinyakovas. I mean, there are so many. Anna Blinkova, there are so many, you know, 20 to 23 four-year-olds right now. Obviously, the the under-20-year-olds who are having success, the Goffs, the Anisimovas, the Yastremskas of the world, they speak for themselves, right? You, you don't need to tell you that they're going to be successful players someday, but there are also a lot of really good players about to hit their primes, both physically and, you know, when the mental side starts to catch up with the physical, that's about 23-24. Again, this was another theme all week long. Really exciting time to be a fan of women's tennis because the game, in terms of its depth, you could argue one through, honestly, 200 that the game has never been more talented than it is right now. And that's a really good thing to think about as we head into, hopefully, another decade of tennis, assuming... God willing, we get Tour 10 is back on a normal schedule. In 2021, there should be some really, really fun results week in, week out. But, you know, those were the two headline performers. There were obviously some other performances that are worth noting. Uh, let's talk about Coco Golf because we have to, right? For the 15, uh, 16-year-old, excuse me, another semifinal for her in her young career with this result. Coco Goff up to a new career high herself of number 48, and I mean, that's ridiculous, right? 48 in the rankings, top 50 at age 16. I don't have all of the list of names in front of me, but I promise you the list of names of top 50 by the time they were 16, uh, those players probably went on to be champions. You think of people like Tracy Austin, you think of people like Monica Sellis, you think of people who were just so successful at such a young age. Coco Goff, it's quite clear, just the way she carries herself, that was Coach Jensen, Coach Lucero. Again, all this these plethora of minds we got to pick their brains on Crowdview Live this week. All of them, when they talk about Coco Golf, that's the first thing they say, even beyond the serve, beyond the backhand, beyond her exceptional athleticism and just the way she moves around the court to both take balls early but also play defense. They talk about just her mindset. She has a champion's mindset. She's so composed. Yes, she will show negative emotion, but negative emotion is not disruptive emotion. Negative emotion, frustration with oneself as a, as, a key, as a tool to motivate oneself as well is acceptable. The way she's saying, come on, I need more effort from you here. The way she gets up from a changeover and runs back to the bench to put her towel down. These are all the little things these coaches notice for, out of a 16-year-old that they just see a champion's mindset within. And yeah, they, they would like the forehand to be cleaned up a little bit. They would like her to you know embrace moving forward, play a little bit more offense, take balls earlier as opposed to just sitting six feet behind the baseline. Uh, but they all say, and they talk to players in the locker room, they all treat Coco Goff as a top, you know, as a serious threat now because she's got that champion's mindset. And I think that was a really, again, notable thing to learn. I mean, the way she just allowed Sabalenka to beat herself, the way she just kept making that extra ball, forcing Sabalenka, just asking her every time a question of, okay, you want to put me away here? Go for it, Sabalenka. And just Sabalenka wasn't able to do it. And so for uh, Coco Goff, a really good win for her uh, to beat Sabalenka. Really good to follow that up over Jabour as well. Again, for Goff, she was just so patient. She allowed Jabour to, you know, her slices, her drop shots, whatever. It didn't matter because Coco Goff has the athleticism to handle it all. She also is always going to make that one extra shot. And with players like Sabalenka and Jabour, they're going to hit that incredible shot. But if you can track down that incredible shot and make them hit another one, that's when the loose error is going to come. So again, the way Coco Goff competed second week of the U.S. Open is something no one should be surprised if we see her make. And no one should be surprised. You could honestly make the case for 50 different women to make the round of 16, which again speaks to how fun this U.S. Open, at least from my perspective, you want to say, oh, but so many top players are missing. Who cares? A little parody, a little intrigue. The Don't we enjoy as fans the unknown watching it all happen? The fact that we don't know it's not scripted in the scar stars. Oh, it's another Serena title. The fact that legitimately 12, you know, 
more than 12. Again, 50 different women could make the round of 16. For me, as a fan, I'm all in on that. So Coco Goff, one of those women, no one should be surprised uh, to see make the uh, second week of the U.S. Open because she was that great all week long. Again, some of the other ones we'll go through a little bit more quickly now. Shelby Rogers win over Serena Williams. I guess we can do both of them pretty quickly. Shelby Rogers continues to play great tennis. She's in such good shape. She's striking the ball cleanly. She's clearly playing confidently. She didn't play a good first set against Serena Williams at all, and yet in that match, she managed to bounce back, you know, in set number one for Shelby Rogers because, again, it wasn't the prettiest of tennis. Shelby Rogers, she didn't serve well, really, the entire match. You look for it, 46% on her first serve, but she was so effective on those service points, you know, 49 of 64, 77% on the first serve, 44 of 74, 60% on that second serve. She saved uh, four of eight break points. She created eight break points for herself, got the two breaks she needed in sets uh, two and three. And again, to beat Serena, one six six four seven six four. Shelby, uh, obviously the biggest win of her career. Another, I believe she had a previous top 10 win, but you know, for Shelby on the comeback after missing a year from injury, after starting to play good tennis, have the momentum ripped away from you. She's moving well. She's making good decisions. It was so fun to get to watch her match with her former coach, Mark Lucero. Here are the intimate details for him. And, you know, he was like, every time Shelby hits an inside-in forehand return on the ad side, he gets very frustrated with her because he hates that decision. Uh, but he loved the way Shelby was using her forehand to play first strike tennis. He talked about how frequently they would work on just that plus one ball and, you know, using it to create opportunities to attack for yourself. And, you know, Shelby at 27 years old is in really good shape and she is starting to feel healthy. She's back inside the top 100. Honestly, if she made the second week of the Grand Slam, I would not be shocked. It just depends on how her draw opens up. And so really good performance from Shelby. Yeah, let's do two minutes on Serena real quick. Serena didn't play well this week. I'm just going to say it. From start to finish, I think her first serve, she was under 60% in all of her matches. She struggled to get into the match. You know, that first set against Shelby Rogers was more about Shelby just misfiring completely than Serena playing particularly well. I mean, but... For Serena Williams, the thing that was really enjoyable was just the decisions she made. You know, she's such a smart uh, decision. I mean, just the way she competes as well. You know, the decisions she makes, the way she competes, the way she will, you know, she wasn't playing her best tennis and yet she found big first serves in the biggest moments. She found ways to move forward, to attack, to put the onus on her opponents throughout each and every match. And, you know, two three-set wins for her over Venus. Uh, Who did Serena play in her first round? Over Bernardo Pera. That was really impressive but in this match against Shelby Rogers she just she wasn't able to find patterns she just wasn't that comfortable Shelby's pace I think got her a little bit frustrated and she just wasn't able to get that break opportunity for herself really outside of that first set and yeah they traded breaks I think in set number three um but you know it just it was tough um it 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 was it, it it's tough to say I mean, it just again, if you're a fan of Serena Williams, you expected there to be a little bit of rust, right? These players haven't competed in five-plus months. And I think if you're a Serena fan, big, 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 big win is the fact that she was able to find wins when not playing well. She was able to get match tough, able to get some reps under her belt. At the same time, there are a lot of really, really talented women on tour right now. And I don't know if I feel better about Serena Williams' tennis than I do these other players' tennis. As a competitor, she is still exceptional. That serve is the greatest in women's history. It continues to be so effective. The backhand looks great. She's willing to move forward. And again, when Serena gets amped, it's just it's a presence unlike anything else in all of maybe sport. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I am I, 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 tennis perspective. I, I'm a big fan of the way again she competed. I can't emphasize that enough. But I am concerned from the tennis because she didn't serve that great. And I guess the thing is she's going to play better. Like there's no doubt about it. She's this is the Serena computer is churning. Right? She gathered the data. She's ready to bounce back into these three week uh, three weeks in New York. And we'll see what happens in Cincy. Uh, but Shelby Rogers deserved to win that match. She was the better player within it. So it didn't. You know, it, to say Shelby Rogers out 
played Serena. Uh, that is a surprising thing to say, certainly. And it wasn't in a, you know, it was the same Shelby Rogers we had seen all week, right? It's not like Shelby Rogers had this one treeing performance where she just played out of her mind for this two hour stretch and there was nothing Serena could do. Shelby Rogers just out, outplayed Serena during this match. And so, you know, if I am a Serena Williams fan, I'm still optimistic, but it's a cautious optimism, a very, very cautious optimism about her chances to win this Grand Slam. Certainly, she's one of the 50 players who you think, okay, she makes the round of 16. And once she's in the round of 16, do you ever want to face Serena in the second week of a Grand Slam? Absolutely not. But given how many quality women there are, it just depends how the draw breaks down. It really does. You could play, a, you know, Buzkova Serena round two, round three, even round one is possible. And that's a dangerous prospect if you're Serena Williams. Nevertheless, that was my thoughts on Serena's performance on Coco Golf. Cece Bellis, I thought, who made the quarterfinals, she looks healthy finally. She's moving so well. Her ability to take balls early, move the ball around the court. I'm always concerned that she can be overpowered, and that's what Teichman really Teichman, excuse me, did to her in the quarterfinals. But good performance for her. Own Jabour, you're never gonna enjoy tennis. I mean, Own Jabour, just the way she plays, her shot making, her slices, her drop shots. You're never gonna regret watching an own Jabour match. But that's really my takeaways from all of the action. By the way, huge shout out to Haley Carter and Louisa Stefani for playing really, really exceptional, fundamentally strong doubles to win the title over uh, Buskova and Teichman. They were up 5-2. Teichman, Buskova brought it back to 5-all. You know, Carter, Stefani able to right the ship, take a 7-5 second set to win the doubles title. It was really fun tennis to watch. And again, it was such an enjoyable week just to see all of these pros. It, It really wasn't that weird. Uh, I have to say without fans, and maybe it was different for me because in my experience, you know, I was talking to people the entire time. I was interacting with others. I wasn't just watching the feed and hearing, you know, the silence or only the commentators, no crowd response. Certainly when they play a match in Arthur Ashe Stadium or Louis Armstrong Stadium, uh, that is going to be a different feeling than, you know, being on a crowd view live stream. But I thought the tennis level was really high. More than anything, you can just tell how amped these players are to be back on court. And I think that above all else, you know, of the circumstances in New York is what's going to prevail. And so I expect the level of tennis. It was definitely rusty at first. The first two, three days were not the prettiest. And maybe that's going to be the case in Cincy. Hopefully by the time we get to the U.S. Open, these players, particularly the ones who make the deep runs in Cincy, will have you know shaken off the rust. But I expect some funky results through the first four days of the U.S. Open. Certainly, if in Cincy you see a player bow out first round, that's not going to surprise me either. And three out of five sets for these players after not competing for five months, for the men I'm saying, you, we are going to learn very, very quickly who took this, you know, their training seriously over these past five months, who didn't, because there are going to be a lot of nicks and bruises, a lot of ab strains, a lot of blisters, it's going to be tough physically. And so, again, a lot of things to think about as we look towards New York. But overall, my takeaway, huge, huge win. And again, a shout-out to John Sanders and the entire Top Seed team for their ability to execute this tournament. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Okay, apologies for that. Again, it was just so enjoyable to see all that action up close. It deserved at least a 20-minute breakdown, but there was another event that I will also go through, and it won't be as in-depth, but I did get to watch all of the highlights, and I can't recommend enough. If you are a fan, you know, if you're missing out on all of the action, you're working throughout the day, you don't get to catch all of these matches, or, you know, again, some of these matches happening in Europe, the time difference just makes it too difficult for you to follow. I highly recommend, go to the W. UTA YouTube page. Go hit subscribe there as well because the highlights they offer are exceptional. Really, really good match highlights. They get them out pretty quickly as well. And I watched far too many highlights because one of my favorite players on the women's tour, and she really has been, I would say, 
arguably, what again, it's in my top five favorite matches of the 2010s, just in tennis, period. You throw, I've got a couple of college matches I would throw in there as well. Certainly, Virginia UCLA was an all-timer, USC UVA an all-timer. Um, I mean, there are a couple floor, some Stanford matches in there you could throw in. Oh, okay. Now, again, I've lost the thread, but the Simona Halep, Caroline Wozniacki, Australian Open final for both of those players looking for their first slam. I remember exactly where I was when I watched it, and it's just one of those matches that will always stick with me. And so I've always been a big Simona Halep fan. I just, I love the way she redirects pace, the way she moves around the court, the way she goes down the line, the way she just competes. And I mean, that was the theme this week, the way she competed all week long to win the title in Prague. She knocks off Elise Mertens 2-5 and five in the final, dropped sets in her first two matches against Herzog and uh, Krejcikova, uh, but just got better and better throughout the weekend. You know, her and Mertens, it's a really fun match because Mertens, if you give her time, if she's able to settle on the ball, she moves uh, the ball around the court really well. She changes directions, takes balls early, hits with pace, but Simona Halep was just relentless. I mean, she tracked down everything, extending these rallies 12, 13, 14, 15 shots and just, I mean, look, 21st career title for her. I think she's what, 15 and two or something crazy like that on the year now. Yeah, you look, she lost to Sabalenka when she played in Adelaide. She lost to Muguruza in the Australian Open semifinal, but then she went and she won Dubai. And by the way, in that Australian Open, she knocked off Kontave, Mertens, Putin, Seva, Jennifer Brady, all exceptional players thus far this year in Dubai. She knocked off Brady again. She knocked off Sabalenka again. Shabur again. Rybakena again. In Prague here now to beat Mertens again. You're looking at your French Open favorite, folks, and, you know, this is a spoiler alert. This will get to the news section. Simona Halep uh, announcing she will not, and it's an official announcement, although if you have been listening to this podcast, this won't be new news to you, but she officially announces she will not be playing the Western Southern nor U.S. Open. She will be playing the French Open, though, and folks, you look at her form on clay, just how confident she seems to be playing. 28 years old, you look at her right now, world ranking number two in the world, but she is so so confident. She's playing so, so well. Again, just the way she moves directions. It's just the way she... I'm just such a huge fan, and so for Simona Halep to win the title this week, she played really, really good tennis, as did Elise Mertens, by the way, who knocked off Jeannie Bouchard in three sets. She not in the quarterfinals, and Jeannie Bouchard's been playing some really good tennis. She looks again. I mentioned this when we saw her in Kentucky in July, but she got really fit over these past three months. It's clear her relationship with Coach Renee Stubbs working really well. The way she's moving around the court, the choices she's making, the way she's leveraging her athleticism to take balls early, just the way her ball explodes through the court. She's moving forward more, and her volleys continue to get better. She continues to get more comfortable. Uh, it was a really good win for Mertens, who just kept moving the ball around the court, who made that extra ball, just kept asking that question of Bouchard. Mertens doesn't move great, uh, but she anticipates really well. And so, and again, if she gets a clean look at a ball, she just is such a pure ball striker. And so, really good wins for her over over uh, Pliskova five and six as well. Christina, not Caroline, uh, not Carolina Pliskova, uh, and then she competed well against Mertens. I just think she ran out of steam. She'd played a bunch of physical matches throughout the week, but nevertheless, it was such a great performance from Simona Halep, uh, who, as I mentioned, just she looked really, really good uh, all week long. So she deserved a major shout out there. Uh, But that gets us to, again, our final topic here. As I mentioned, it's a two-part pod. And the truth is, you know, again, I watched a lot of, I watched all the highlights uh, in Prague. There were a couple of great performers as well. I know I'm not going to go into quite the depth I did in Lexington. I suppose I can quickly, I mentioned Bouchard was a big winner. Pliskova continues to look good as well. Got a couple of big wins in uh, Palermo now here in Prague as well. She's playing some really solid tennis. Uh, obviously, I mentioned for Begue, she makes the semifinals here. It was a great result for her. Uh, she played well all week long. But, you know, the big takeaway for me from that event was just how exceptional Simona Halep looked. I think she's the unequivocal favorite heading into the French Open. But with that in mind, again, I said it was twofold because I wanted to talk about 
uh, the action we saw last week, and then I wanted to talk about some of the news that broke. And just you know, now that people have arrived in New York, now that we uh, have it, you know, it really is all systems go. They're in the hotel. Uh, we did learn today, and I'm recording this at twelve twelve east uh, twelve twelve p.m. on the East Coast on Tuesday. You know, we did learn that someone tested positive uh, while in the USTA bubble. Uh, we learned it was their second test, I believe, as well. They had the first test they took was a negative negative result. The second test coming back positive, the USDA releasing that information. But it was an A, we learned it was not a player B. We don't know more circumstances beyond that. So I don't want to speculate. I will just say, look, given the scale of this event, it was inevitable that someone was going to test positive upon arrival. And I hope sincerely, and I do believe, but I also sincerely hope uh, that the USDA has a plan, has guidelines, They and I'm sure they do, and we'll see how those guidelines are executed because I'm certainly now there's a heightened awareness of the situation. And, you know, I, again, I don't want to speculate. Obviously, we wish that person a speedy and healthy recovery, uh, but until uh, we did learn someone test positive, and this was inevitable. So we will see how the U.S. Open responds. All of that is to say, it's all systems go. People are on site. They are arriving, and we have started to learn more and more about who is going to be there and who is not. And to be honest, you know, for the women's field right now, it's a rough one. I mean, rough one is not what I meant to say. What I meant to say is it is clear we will not have the entire uh, field of women that we were hoping to, certainly for this event. And I think the parody, as I spoke to as the beginning, is what's going to make this event so fun. I don't know why I said rough one. That's going to bother me now for a while. But anyways, you know, we are going to be missing some of the women we love to see competing. And we can just look around the list. You know, we learned uh, Suwe C and Priscilla Han both have withdrawn. On. Uh, by the way, that meant Usway Arcanada and Leslie Serenko got into the main draw, but Arcanada's wild card now goes to Alley Kick, so that's another American in the field. But you start looking down the list, right? Caroline Dalahide uh, got into the main draw as an alternate after Fiona Farrow uh, announced she has withdrawn. And by the way, the loss of Fiona Farrow, who won a title on the clay, that that's obviously disappointing for all of us. But her main draw wild card now goes to Claire Liu, and so. That's another American into the draw. You keep looking down the field. Bianca Andrescu formally announcing her level, not where she wants it to be. So she will not be in the field. Simona Halep, as I mentioned, she's not going to be in the field. Defending semifinalist Belinda Bencic also not going to be in the field. And so she'll be there in Rome when the tour resumes, but she is not going to be in New York. Uh, obviously, these are all significant losses. And another one to just think about, Garbine Muguruza, announcing her left ankle. She's having issues with it, so she's pulling out of Western and Southern now. She is still hoping to be able to participate in uh, in the U.S. Open, but yeah, I mean, this women's field in particular, and you know, the men's field, obviously missing Nadal, missing Federer, Mrs. Infognini. There are, there are many players missing from the men's field as well, but you look at it right now, and, you know, Jose Morgado has put together the women's list here, who as of now is not playing the U.S. Open. Number one, Barty. Number two, Halep. Number five, Svitolina. Six, Andrescu. Seven, Burtons. Eight, Benchich. Then you start getting to, you know, uh, number 29, Wang. Number 30, Pavlchenkova. 31, Striskova. Kuznetsova. Zhang. Gurgis. Pharaoh. I mean, that's a bunch of significant players, certainly. And so, you know, again, you know how anti-asterisk I am next to this U.S. Open if you are, if, if you've been listening to this pod. This U.S. Open, the fact that it's happening is a victory within itself. Now, hopefully, again, the safety and health uh, procedures in place will ensure that it's not uh, that it remains a victory, that we're not putting people at risk by hosting this event. Um, but, yeah, I mean, missing this many players in the field is certainly notable. And so it's worth just remembering that as we watch. It's just going to speak to you the fact that the circumstances around this event, unlike anything else. We also learned, by the way, on the men's side, and this was news from the week, Kei Nishikori, a testing positive for COVID-19, pulling out of the Western and Southern Open. He's going to stay entered in the U.S. Open for now. He says he has very little symptoms. He's obviously going to stay in isolation for the safety of everyone, but can't imagine he's going to end up playing the U.S. Open. And obviously, again, that's a devastating development. Kei Nishikori, a guy, all of us at this point, you wonder, is his window closed to win a Grand Slam? Certainly, uh, he has not been very healthy these past couple of years, but... 
Uh, it's just obviously a sad development. So no Kei Nishikori in the draw. But, you know, again, beyond that, players finally starting to make their way. We've seen so many of them now on site, now doing their thing in New York. And I believe qualifying starts Thursday. I believe the draws come out Thursday as well. So we're getting ready to rock and roll from a tennis perspective. And again, just a couple of other things quickly to run through. The preliminary, you know, what does the rest of the schedule look like right now? Cincinnati starting August 22nd. I believe that is what, four days from today. So it starts, uh, let's think, 19 Wednesday, 20 Thursday, 21 Friday. So I guess Saturday we'll get the action rocking and rolling for the Western and Southern in New York. August 31st, the New York Open, uh, New York Open, excuse me, the U.S. Open. Uh, we go to Kitty. Bull in for the Generali Open September 8th. Still going to be fascinating to see how many, if any, players can play that. Rome, September 14th. Hamburg, September 21st. French Open, September 27th. Uh, St. Petersburg, uh, October 12th. Antwerp, Moscow, October 19th. Vienna, October 16th. Paris, November 2nd. Sofia, November 9th. Year-end finals in London in November 15th. By the way, I believe Dominic Team, Novak Djokovic, and I think Rafa already qualifying for the year-end finals. If I read that correctly, that's obviously pretty funny. Uh, but for them, you know, again, it, we've got a lot of tournaments left on the calendar, folks. So as of now, knock on wood, it looks like we are going to have certainly a nice little three-month stretch of tennis. Uh, you know, if everyone stays healthy, if everyone does their job, if everyone acts responsibly, tennis fans included, by the way, because a lot of these events are happening where a lot of us tennis fans are listening, and so we have to do our part as well. Uh, but we do have a full slate of action, it looks like, scheduled uh, for the remainder of this season. And, you know, again, what else do we have scheduled now? Challenger Tennis making its return this week. So exciting, obviously, to have that. We also learned, by the way, one of the doubles players, I believe, in Prague at this Challenger event tested positive. And look, uh, the Challenger Tour doesn't have the money to do the rigorous testing to do everything that the U.S. Open does. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens at these events. But they do have current, uh, currently they have guidelines in place. And so Prague continuing to rock and roll right now. By the way, we have the revised schedule in Prague for the remainder of the or for the ATF uh, ATF for the ITF tour the remainder of the year. They're in Prague and Todi, Italy. Uh, this week they're in Prague and Trieste, Italy. Next week they're in Ostrava and Cordeno, Cordenons. Again, I'm butchering these pronunciations. Anyways, then from there, they go to Prostjev, Taeon, Provence, Istanbul, and Yassi the week after, Sibio and Forli the week after that, Belia and Split after that. So a lot of Eastern European, European events on the Challenger Tour for now. That seems to be the only place in the world they are comfortable hosting these events. And by the way, the ITF published its COVID-19 protocols for its events today, which are mainly about mitigating the spread. Everyone has to be tested before a Driving, uh, they're subject to daily temperature screening. You know, only one support person on uh, on site al- alongside with them. No support people in the locker room. Spectators permitted only uh, where the ITF is allowed. Media permitted on site, but must comply with phys- uh, physical distancing, physical distancing, etc. Uh, fewest number of on-court officials requires to provide appropriate level of officiating. Case management and notice uh, notification protocols will be implemented if a participant does not meet the requirements of screening. Uh, And, you know, again, from there, a lot of it is just about uh, mitigating the spread. So these are things to keep in mind. But it's also worth noting that, hey, I always say Livestream.com backslash ATP is the unofficial sponsor of Cracked Rackets. Uh, The ATP Challenger Tour launching Challenger TV, which will be free live streams, on-demand access, sortable filters, full match stats. As fans, we can all be excited for that. So we'll learn more details later. But just fun things happening and obviously all of us so excited to have challenger tennis back in our lives you look at the draws this week i mean the big one the fact that in prague you have stan wawrinka who is not playing the u.s open but is back on the clay playing challenger tennis he was a winner in his first match over roman uh Safulian. uh he's gonna play oscar ota now you see other players summit nagal you know arthur rinderneck was in the draw phil kohlschreiber in the draw uh, Kleson in the draw, Greek sport in the draw, Erbear, Laxanen, Golbis, Yuri Vesely, the two seed already lost. 
it's great to have Challenger Tennis back, folks. And then, of course, in Todi, Italy, another really fun draw there. And it's just great to, again, have tennis. You have Roberto Carbeas Benia, the number one seed there, Marco Cecinato, the two seed, Yannick Hanifman in the draw, Daniel Altmaier, Ant- uh, Antoine Huang. Uh, so many great names. Again, all Yuri Rodionov already in the draw. I mean, folks, tennis is back, and we missed it. We missed it dearly. So, of course, be on the lookout for all of the action. And again, we've also got a ton of preview content coming up here on Crack Rackets, getting you ready for the three-week bubble in New York, getting you reacquainted with everything going on on the ATP and WTA tours. It's not just going to be mini break high, uh, podcasts. And of course, we've got a lot of fun guests lined up as well. But, you know, go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. There are going to be articles galore. Our friends, you know, interns, Luke Moorhead, Vance Vermani, um, myself, going to be getting back in the writing game. Of course, videos on our YouTube channel as well. We're going to have it all rocking and rolling for you, so be sure to be on the lookout for all of that. I should also mention, just quickly, you know, sport in Sports Business Journal, two things from our friend Brett McCormick. One, uh, he talked about uh, the new Body Armor sponsorship by the U.S. Open Body Armor that Gatorade like. See, Gatorade has really cornered the market. Body Armor, another sports drink, I should say. Uh, I know my roommate Parker, a big fan of it, their relationship with the U.S. Open, what that's going to look like moving forward. Uh, He also talks about the intersection, and it's a fascinating intersection, one we've talked about many a times on this podcast, between the gambling world and the tennis world, and how that intersection may be coming to a head, and why that could necessarily be both a good and a bad thing for tennis, and he talks about it in Sports Business Journal. I believe I'm going to get him on the pod to talk about it later this week, so be on the lookout for that as well, but again, a lot going on right now at Cracked Racket. So if you aren't already, we ask, please like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, our YouTube channel. Leave us a comment as well. We always want to hear from all of you. By the way, be on the lookout for Midwest Sports Dave Limke to be joining the show to talk about their Western and Southern Open giveaway, how all of you Cracked fans can put yourself in a position to win a free Babolat racket. I, you know, some of you out there I know love those Babolat sticks, and so going to have more information on that later in the week. Be on the lookout for that, but be on the lookout for all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You want the more immediate updates? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do and for making all of this possible. And again. We are really excited to have Pro Tennis back in our lives. Hopefully, all of you listeners are as well. And, of course, it's going to get stressful. So to follow along, again, be sure to check out all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. But with that being said, I feel like we are caught up now on the week, and we can begin to look forward. So for our wonderful friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, our super producers, Max Lingner and Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast, Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.